0: Hello, wonderful beings. Welcome back to the TFC Audio Project. On this episode, we're switching it up on the TFC Audio Project. And this week's show is going to be an interview that I recorded on the MyFit podcast in September 2020. DJ Hillier is the host, and he he asked some really, really great questions about all things feet. Uh, We cover things like footwear, bunions, running. uh, And the goal was to keep it simple and make sure to cover the essentials when it comes to Um, understanding foot problems and issues that people will face and hopefully give people looking to improve their understanding a little bit of stuff to expand their awareness. Really enjoyed the conversation with DJ and hope that you find the information useful. This episode of the show is brought to you by TFC Health Kits. Sustainably resolving injuries can be really frustrating if you don't have the right information. And although health kits don't tell you exactly what to do, they explain the root causes of common issues and they provide you with a framework and some practical tools that you can begin experimenting with and making progress. Our foot and ankle health kit was released late December, and you can get more information about, uh, about health kits by visiting beamtribe.com and clicking on the health kit tab. This episode of the show is also brought to you by the Footnote Program, a learning community for those looking to take radical responsibility back for their health. The program is a year long health commitment that provides learning material. Physical projects for each pillar of health, and it's got built in support and accountability so that you ensure your success on your health journey. For more information or to apply to the program, head to tfcfootnerd.com. This episode of the podcast is also brought to you by the Roasters Pack. If you're into coffee, this unique Canadian company provides a, provides a great subscription service that delivers you fresh beans to your door each month, as well as the story behind each of the craft roasters that the beans come from. If you check out the roasterspack.com, use the code FOOT at checkout you get seven bucks off your first month. That's it for sponsors. Let's dig into this episode. Hope you enjoy.
1: It's the TFC audio project. Nick, welcome to the MyFit podcast, man. Good morning. I'm super stoked to talk to you today. All things feet. How are you, man? I'm good, DJ. How are you? I'm doing great. Yeah. Um, Like I said, uh, off air, uh, the feet is something that I've been interested in for quite some time. I think there's a lot of just unknown areas, as you know, and you're about to teach us and and the listeners all about it. But I'm I'm really excited to dive into some of the things that, you know, whether it's uh, misconceptions or things that people don't understand. I'm just curious to learn from you for the next hour.
2: Cool. Well, thanks for inviting me on and thanks for doing these podcasts because I, uh, you know, we've got our own podcast and I know they are a good amount of work, even though it just seems like you're just talking that it just flies up on the internet. Um, so thank you for doing these. And yeah, thanks again
1: for having me on. Certainly, man. So I think the best place to start is the most broad question I could ask you. And that is why the feet? Why are you so passionate about the feet? Why is it so important? <laughs>
3: Yeah,
2: that's a great question, um, and I should probably say as a disclaimer in advance that I by no means claim to be an expert. Uh, I'm only speaking from my lived experience, and you know we've been pretty fortunate at TFC where we've built a pretty big community of what we call foot nerds, and so I sort of get this pipeline of information and experience from all these people all around the world um, that contributes to sort of a collective understanding of of feet and of the five pillars of health, but. Um, why feet? I just had this really big sort of epiphany about four or five years ago, where you know, as a physio, as a practicing physical therapist, I was up at a cottage, um, I was barefoot on gravel, and I just remember thinking, like, wow, it feels really good to be barefoot, and I think the shoes that I've been wearing are the prime reasons that I'm having all these. And I wasn't having a lot of you know foot injuries per se in terms of pain, but my feet never felt very good. Uh, Whenever I took off my rugby cleats, my feet would be just destroyed, whether it was blisters or just they were sore. It felt great to take my cleats off. And I just kind of realized, like, I think a lot of the foot problems that we see in clinic are caused by footwear. And this doesn't seem to be anywhere in the narrative. I certainly didn't learn it in physio school. But, you know, I I just, it's kind of like, okay, once someone says don't think about polar bears, all you can think about is polar bears. Um, I started to look at shoes differently. And I realized that all my patients, when they came in, were wearing shoes that were causing the issues they were coming in to see me for, or at least contributing to them. Um, and so that was the beginning of the deep dive and sort of set in motion a journey of like, okay, let's see if I can better understand what's going on with these uh, with feet. Um, and let's see if I can also explain this to get buy in and, and hopefully have people see a different perspective when it comes to feet. And the more I looked into it and the more uh, I experimented personally was seeing, okay, well, how resilient can I make my feet? Like, what do I, do I actually need to wear shoes all the time? Like, what do I need to look for in shoes? And so this sort of innate curiosity of just trying to figure out what the heck was up with feet um, led me down a path of realizing that feet are actually super important. And they're important from a functional standpoint, but they're more, more or less important because nobody's paying attention to them. And that's really where the importance comes from. It's like the weakest link for a lot of people is a body part they don't even look at, right? It's like if you all you see is shoes, you can forget you actually have feet. Um, and so, yeah, and then here we are today and it's sort of meandered a lot over the past four or five years, but that's how it kind of started.
1: Yeah, very cool. And I think when I look back at like the evolution of, you know, footwear and feet, I think about when I was a kid, right? Like my parents had to beg me to put shoes on, right? Because you just <laughs> you're just running around, you don't want to wear shoes, you run into the yep. neighbor's house, whatever. And then as you get older, I almost think it's the other way around. Like you you gotta beg your dad or mom to take their shoes off when they come to your house because they feel so comfortable in the shoes. So during our lifetimes, I feel like the whole shoe thing goes. Um, talk to us a little bit about, you know, as kids you know, we didn't want to wear shoes and as adults, we do want to wear shoes. Do you feel like, you know, we shouldn't be wearing shoes. We should kind of go back to how we were as kids or talk to us a little about what's that evolution like?
2: Yeah, a lot of people, I think I get labeled often, um, as just like a hardcore barefoot person. Um, and real, really I'm neutral. Number one, I don't judge people for their footwear choices, but I do want to make sure that they have good enough information, make good choices with their footwear. Um, I like to push limits on the weird dude walking around barefoot in airports and on <laughs> sidewalks. And uh actually when I was in um I think it was somewhere in Minnesota, we did a seminar there. Oh fun and whatever town I was in was not a very uh <laughs> like <laughs> out there town. So I'm walking around barefoot and there's a marathon that weekend. <laughs> I'm walking around like the downtown strip barefoot and I got so many funky looks, it was pretty funny. Um I think kids are really um I love observing children because, like, that sounded weird, but I love looking at kids because they're ruthlessly honest. They don't give a shit what they look like. They just want to be kids, right? They want to play. Um, if shoes don't feel good, they just take them off, right? They might not even remember where they put them, and so that can frustrate parents. But I think there's a lot to learn from them because they're authentically human until we start to domesticate them, and you know that's where foot issues start as kids when we're put into shoes that often aren't shaped like our feet, um, that aren't really made to align with the physiology of the human body they're made based on what footwear companies want to sell us. Um, and the programming starts there, right? Like if you watch Disney movies like Cinderella, that's where the programming starts for high heels and narrow tiny shoes. Um, and so, you know, footwear is just a form of clothing and clothing is the way that we express ourselves. And, forms part of our identity and that identity is shaped by the inputs that we get from our environment right like if the if the awesome athlete that you idolize wears the newest nike shoe then you want to wear the newest nike shoe um regardless of whether that shoe is good for you good for your movement or not and um yeah as adults we just really buy into that sort of um conditioning that you need support um you need cushioning all these sort of things and it's very, it's almost like this paradox where what we think is something we need is actually what ends up harming us in the long term. Um, But the harm that we get is not direct, you don't get like shoe cushioning itis, right? You get knee pain. And so people have a hard time connecting the dots between I have pain here, but we've also been sort of programmed to just think that our bodies develop pain over time and breaks down over time. And it's sort of a really shitty narrative that often is reinforced by rehab and medicine. But you know, the, the truth that I've found in my life and with the people that I've worked with and spoken with is our bodies are insanely robust organisms, right? This is this beautiful system of systems that adapts to what we expose it to. It's supposed to function well till we get to 100 if we're using it in a way that aligns with what it was built for. And unfortunately, the way that most footwear is made today doesn't align with the way that we're built to move. And so, um, you know, I often get buy-in from people by talking about the feet as the foundation. You know, if you ask an engineer to build, build you a building and he sort of just or he or she just didn't say anything about the foundation just talked about the building they were going to create um it would be kind of silly because if the foundation's got a crack in it the rest of the building actually doesn't matter that much it doesn't matter how well you build it and if we take that same approach to our bodies a lot of people are investing time energy um, to create a really strong durable body upstream but if you're neglecting the part that all of that body rests on Uh, that might be an opportunity to be able to just make sure it's functioning at a base minimum to support the rest of that. So, Mm -hmm.
1: yeah. So you and I, Nick, both understand the idea of that some shoes just aren't good for you and they put you in bad positions. I'm thinking about some people that maybe are listening to this and for the first time we're opening the Pandora's box to them going, hey, you should start thinking about your feet. So let's say 40 or 50 years old, you've never really thought about this whole foot idea before. Tell yeah. those people why or how shoes, high heels can affect the way your feet look, shape. How, how does foot, why is footwear important and, and how does it relate?
2: Yeah, so... Once again, thinking of the foot as uh, the foundation for your body and as a sensor to be able to feel the environment around you, Um, you know, you first have to, you first have to buy in and be open-minded to thinking that the feet are important in Mm -hmm. order for you to even care about what clothing you're wearing on top of it. Um, But once people do, you know, all people have to be as open-minded. And my philosophy is I never tell people what to do. I just share what I know. And sort of in, try and inspire them to be open-minded to experimenting, to trying different things, right? The only person that can prove things to you is yourself. Um, but you have to be willing. You have to be willing to lean in to try different things and, and see different perspectives. Um, and so, you know, the, I, I, I never tell people what shoes to buy. Um, what I do try and convey are the principles to look for in footwear so that you can evaluate your own footwear because it actually turns out to be really simple. There's only really four things to look at. Um, I used to have a mnemonic, uh, that has swear word in it and I switched it recently just to make it more PG. But if if you remember free them, wonderful feet, free them, wonderful feet. So the first F is flat. Shoes need to be flat. Um, because if you stand on a ramp all day, you mess up a lot of the alignment of your joints upstream and you confuse your body. It's really that simple. Um, you know, and that having an elevated heel can do a bunch of things, um, you know, it shortens your Achilles tendon, puts your calves in a shortened position, reduces your ankle mobility. Everyone's struggling to reclaim this ephemeral dorsiflexion. It's like, well, are you detraining dorsiflexion all day long with the shoes you wear? Because that's the low hanging fruit. It's not doing ankle mobs every, every day for 30 minutes. It's get rid of what's causing the problem. Um, and, you know, even if you look at the biggest exaggeration of an elevated heel, which is like a high heel, mm-hmm. two of the big things it does, which is I think why, you know, Part of the reason why women wear high heels is to look more appealing to males. This is mm-hmm. just the way it is, or mm-hmm. to whatever um, you know population of people they want to look better for. Sure, got to be careful now with that. <laughs>
1: yeah, absolutely, right. I um, you.
2: <laughs> but two things that it does is it tilts your pelvis forward, which kind of sticks their butt out, and it flares your ribs out, which kind of props up the parts that males like to look at. Um, mm-hmm. And so, but that happens to a lesser degree, regardless of what the heel height is. The bigger the heel height, the bigger the postural changes. But even just like a you know one centimeter heel lift is going to affect the way that your brain is organizing your body, right? It's it's recalibrating the alignment of your joints and the muscles that are activating based on the fact that you are now standing on a ramp. So the first one in free them wonderful feet is flat. The second one is uh, thin. So as thin of a sole as possible. No cushioning needed, no support needed, thin. The thinner it is, the better your foot's gonna be able to take in sensory input uh, from the ground. So that's free, them, the W for wonderful is wide. Now, this one I've started to explain a little bit differently. I used to say it should be, have a wide toe box. The problem with that is that some some shoes with a wide toe box still taper at the toes. So I've started to say wide as in shaped like a human foot or widest at the tip of the toes which makes it extremely hard to find footwear right now, because there's not a lot of shoes that are widest and flare out um, like the natural human foot supposed to. Um, So free them. Wonderful feet is flexible. Um, You know, you should be able to take a shoe and bend it, twist it, compress it. You know, each of your paws um, has 26 bones, 33 joints. That means there's supposed to be a shitload of movement in your foot. Mm -hmm. And if you're wearing a shoe that is very stiff and rigid, you're going to eliminate most of the mobility and most of those joints. And over time, that has a consequence, right? The body adapts based on what you expose it to. If you're wearing clothing that permits zero movement at the foot, uh, you're eventually going to have zero movement at the foot. And a stiff foot becomes a weak foot because the muscles can't work anymore, which usually becomes a painful foot. And so if you look at those four things and you look for shoes and evaluate every shoe you buy, right? You don't have to have the perfect shoe. But I think if everyone had a goal where every new pair of shoes they buy has more of those boxes checked off, uh, they're going to do really well. And um, yeah, so I mean, those are the important features to look for in footwear, which you can put put any shoe you're about to buy through that filter. Um, and that really gives people a good understanding of A, the features in footwear right now that are causing its harm, but B, the features in footwear that you should be looking for in order to... Make it so that every step you take is restoring natural function,
1: which I think should be everyone's goal. Mm-hmm. Thanks for spelling that out. That's very insightful. I'm curious on the, a lot of people that I see kind of wearing, I'm a shoe guy as well. I like I like the designer shoes. I, Me too. If, <laughs> if a person comes into the gym with new shoes, I usually notice and they're like, what the hell, how do you know that? But um, <laughs> side, side note, I think a lot of the shoes that I see have, um, kind of like that cushiony bottom, right? That, that That's comfortable, whether it's a heel lift or kind of like your classic running shoe, per se, that kind of have that that cushiony feeling. And to me, that kind of um, goes against the idea of flat and thin. What are your thoughts on having that cushion bottom for running shoes? Is it different because it's a running shoe and not a everyday shoe? What do you think there? Uh,
2: okay, so that is a – I mean, there's a lot to unpack in that. Okay. Right. Um, I think to – you know, to be concise with it, I think my take is that any shoe that's good for your foot is good to run in. It doesn't mean you're ready to run in a shoe that basically makes it feel like you're barefoot, which is what now, you know, I'm, you know, I don't like the word barefoot shoe. It's literally an oxymoron. If you're barefoot, you're not wearing a shoe. So I don't (laughs) like that term, but the term natural footwear to me um, resonates and basically just allows your foot to function naturally. So it's protection for it's utilitarian, meaning that, The single purpose of footwear is to protect your foot from the elements, protect it from cuts, scrapes, from temperature extremes. That's really what I consider the primary use of footwear. And so any shoe that does that role and protects your foot is good for really any movement. There are certain things, like if you're playing on a grass field, yes, it's good to have a bit of extra traction. But for the most part, any shoe designed uh, to cater to the human foot is going to be fine for things like running.
3: Mm.
2: Now, there is a little asterisk there because it doesn't mean you're ready to run in a shoe that's gonna ask more of your foot. If you have a massively deconditioned foot, um, probably the first thing you should do is recondition it to a baseline level with things like walking and just fighting gravity in a very low impact environment. The last thing, barefoot. Yep. Barefoot or natural footwear, right? Yep. Like if you are going from something really, really cushioned and built up, there's gonna be an adaptation period where you have to rebuild some basic mobility and capacity of the muscles of your foot. And that, you know, I just tell people, wear a natural shoe for a month in your day-to-day life before you even think about running, because that's, that's sort of like this base of the pyramid conditioning that you have to work on before you go and run. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, yeah, like when you look at the foot as a sensor, you all of a sudden start to view cushioning as a blindfold for that sensor, Mm -hmm. right? An air bubble or a thick piece of cushioning. Uh, you know, it might feel quote unquote comfortable and mushy. Um, Sitting on a couch can feel really comfortable, but if you do it 20 hours a day, you're going to mess your body up. And I think when you put cushioning on top of your foot, you disconnect yourself from using the foot as a sensor and you reduce the brain's comfort at letting you explore a broad variety of movement, right? Because it just doesn't know what's happening underneath you. It's got this confusing layer of material that is disrupting the input, the pure input from the ground.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Now, it's, it's tough because it's counterintuitive, right? People think, oh, I need cushioning to run. Yes. And they think that a little piece of foam under the foot is going to cushion the impacts of running. And this is a really interesting paradox to dive into. Because, And the analogy I give people is, if I got you to jump off of uh, like a one meter wall onto hard ground and you were barefoot, you're a force to land extremely softly. Mm-hmm. The last thing you're going to do is land with your heels first. because You know that if you don't absorb the impacts with your natural mechanisms, which we have really good ones, like your Achilles tendon and all these joints that can absorb impact, uh, it's going to hurt. If I put cushioning on top of your foot, you can land any which way and you can land directly on your heels and it might not hurt your heels, but all of those impact forces, because you're not absorbing the impact, you're just basically slamming down, get absorbed by the rest of your skeleton upstream, right? By your knees, by your ankles, by your hips, everything up to your neck. and those, you know, the, the great thing and the and the bad thing about the human body is it's very resilient. It can handle a lot mm-hmm. before it puts its hand up and says, ah, we can't do this anymore, aka pain. And so you don't get pain right away. But then 10 years later, you have a hole in your kneecap or you have osteoarthritis in your knee. And you're like, what the heck happened? Oh, I guess I'm just getting old. It's like, well, maybe you landed on your heels a million <laughs> times when you ran and it's finally catching up with you. And the only reason you're allowed to land on your heel is because you got a big pad of cushioning on your shoe. And so I'm not a fan of cushioning in running shoes. I think everyone should try and transition away from it. But it does have to be a gradual process of, I mean, if you're in a heel cushioned running shoe, a heavily cushioned running shoe, the way you're running is probably extremely different than the way you're going to be forced to run when you don't have cushioning, which Mm -hmm. means you're going to have to, there's a period of adaptation that you have to respect. Um, You can't just do your same mileage and assume it's all going to be good. Your body's like, what the heck? This is a brand new, we have to move in a brand new way because we can, you know, heel striking tends to be self-limiting in that you're not really allowed to do it for very long, if at all, because it hurts. And Mm -hmm. so uh, your body instantly shortens up its uh, stride length, increases the cadence. These are all Cues that you know natural running uh, methods will use to help people get back to natural running, and they kind of happen automatically when you take shoes off. So, I personally love just taking a runner that's having a lot of issues and wears heel cushion footwear to a super hard cement um, road with you know that's safe. Sometimes I'll brush it off with a broom and just say, "Let's go for a run, and let's see how it feels." Mm-hmm. And they instantly feel very different when they run, and it's them feeling that is way more potent than me explaining it.
1: Mm-hmm. So, and it goes back to like we're born to be barefoot, right? Like caveman nice. days, and like you know they didn't have shoes then. And you know say it what you want or have the argument of like yeah they if they had if they if they had shoes they'd wear them whatever. But I think we're we are born to be we're born to be barefoot, right? And I'm not trying to yeah. get you know hippie or nerdy, but I think at the end of the day I think the biggest message out there is to spend more time barefoot. And I think about there's some people that like my parents like when they're at home they're still wearing shoes around the house. Right. I think at home is the perfect place to do it. Um, also, I wanted to ask, what are your thoughts on socks? Is socks still limiting? Should you be completely barefoot? Is, is there an in-between? What are your thoughts on socks?
2: I don't really have many thoughts. My thoughts are the less shit you put on top of your foot that affects mm-hmm. your foot function, the better. But mm-hmm. I'm not, you know, I get that question a lot, actually. And I just try and stay out of the weeds on that because it's really semantics at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want to wear socks, wear socks. Um, I don't wear socks. My feet don't stink um, mostly because I don't put something around them that creates a warm moist environment. Like that, that's another counterintuitive thing. People are like, you know, I got to cover my feet. My feet stink. Sometimes it's like they only stink because your feet don't stink. Your shoes cause feet to stink. Um, so socks, I'm indifferent about it. I mean, the less layers between your foot and the ground, the better. So it's totally personal preference, but the less is more I, I tend to believe.
1: I would also believe uh, that you would probably echo the idea of that if you are in the cushioned foot or footwear and you want to kind of wean yourself off, I would think that you wouldn't want to go from a hundred or zero to 100. It's probably a weaning off process. Well, how would somebody transition to that natural footwear?
2: Yeah, I actually uh, just yesterday did a video that we posted on our YouTube channel about that because I think there's a good amount of variables to sort of uh, make sure people understand at the end of the day, it has to be self-directed and you have to, you have to be able to troubleshoot, right? So being, feeling confident that you can self-regulate a transition without having to rely on some sort of framework in terms of this week, do this, this week, do that. I have people, most of the people that I've worked with have literally just gone to natural shoes Mm. and have been completely fine. Like from one day to the next, Um, we underestimate how resilient and how adaptive our bodies are. But You know, my take, a lot of people say, oh, go to transition shoes, you know, like slowly go to a less drop, less drop. And I just tell people buy a pair of pure natural shoes and slowly work into them by taking sort of like taking notes every day. Okay, go for a 30 minute walk. How do your feet feel? How do your feet feel the next day? Are they fine? Perfect. You can do more. And so just like really self-regulating and being reconnecting with talking to your body and listening to what it's telling you, right? If Your feet are sore. Um, maybe it means the muscles are working way harder or actually working for once. And so they're going to be a bit sore. It's like, it's just like when you're doing, you know, doing bicep curls, your bicep might be sore because you just worked it. Um, So I think I always advise people running is a different story. Have a base level of conditioning where you're trying out, you know, if you're comfortable barefoot at home, you're going to be just fine in minimal shoes, right? Like we have this, weird fear of well i've always had support or what i have orthotics it's like you're probably gonna be fine like just be open-minded that your body knows what to do if you let it do it um so yeah go for a pair of natural shoes wear them as tolerated and over time um try and wean away from the cushioning and the support because going back and forth oftentimes kind of confuses the body and, and stifles progress. Um, and it's a tough pill to swallow, right? If your, if your closet is filled with shoes that you now understand as uh, contributing to problems with your movement, it's like the cognitive dissonance of someone being told that natural footwear is the only kind of footwear you should be wearing is pretty high. If they have a shitload of invested time and money in, in their footwear collection Absolutely. so sometimes it takes a little while for people to kind of you know initially they're like oh it can't be true it can't be that's something that obvious can't be true i would have known about it by now and it's like that's what i thought too even yep. as a physio mm-hmm. um you so don't know what you don't know right like you don't know what you don't know and sometimes yep. it's convenient to not know what you don't know mm,
1: amen yeah So i want to talk a little bit about the the musculature underneath the feet and i think this is something that people don't think about as well along along with the whole foot structure and something that my coach has had me do Um, double unders is a part of my game that i'm trying to get better at and one thing we're work we're doing to help work on bounding and jumping uh is working on things like towel grabs and trying to increase the strength under my feet uh talk to us a little bit about what do you know about having weak feet what does that do to people how do you strengthen feet can you just kind of elaborate the listeners a little bit about um the musculature under your feet
2: sure there's a lot of it um there's four layers of, there's tons of layers of muscle and fascia and good stuff in the feet. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of specific foot strengthening exercises like okay. towel scrunches and, you know, even short foot. I think they're a little bit, it's misdirected precision. I think the best way to work your feet is just load them. And what I mean by that is train train barefoot uh, as you're able. Uh, go for barefoot walks. Um, you know, do as many things barefoot as you feel confident and safe to do. Um, And that will develop just a a very well-rounded and balanced form of foot strength, more so than working specific muscles uh, for reps. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, like I often like to do loaded carries, uh, suitcase carries, farmer's walks, barefoot. That is, in my opinion, one of the most potent ways to strengthen your foot. Um, Beam work, which we talk about a lot, is a really potent way to get your foot more involved and really essentially reintegrate the hip and the foot together because they need to work together. If there's a disconnect there, it's really hard to have a system that works efficiently. Um, So yeah, I mean for, for double unders, for example, the more integrity you can have in those 26 bones when you're landing, the stiffer lever arm you can create in your foot, the better energy transfer you're going to be able to have through your Achilles, right? Because with a double under, with skipping in general, it's all about uh elastic recoil it's all about energy storage not necessarily energy production or output and um you know i always see people that just look like a bag of rocks when they (laughs) skip where they're using a whole lot of muscle energy to get up and down off the ground whereas i'll see someone that's just like super light on their feet and literally looks like they got springs under their feet they're not even huffing and puffing they're very calm because they're really not having to output very much energy and that's a prime example with the skill of, for example, double unders. When you master energy transfer and energy storage and re-release, double unders, are you could do them for days. Absolutely. Like it's so, it's so yep. crazy. But yep. you do need to have, you know, if the muscles of your foot don't know how to fire in order to create a sense of rigidity in those 26 bones, you're going to have a lot of leaks in, in your efficiency and your energy transfer because yep. the foot will deform a huge amount. And then you have to spend energy to reform the foot right. and you just – you lose the power transfer. Um, so yeah, tons of muscles in the foot. The intrinsics of the foot are very, they're just not talked about very much, um, but there's a ton of them. It's a massively busy area. And I think, like I said, the best way is just load your feet in a natural environment and spend time barefoot and you're going to get mute and strong feet very quickly.
1: Awesome. Totally makes sense. Does it relate uh, to having flat feet? And if it doesn't, can we just talk about what, is that? what does flat feet mean and why is that a red flag or is it not a red flag?
2: Um, yeah, flat feet is a very overused term. It's a very misunderstood term. Uh, I think people look at flat feet as like a label that identifies you as in like, I got flat feet. I'm shit out of luck. It's like, (laughs) well, actually, there's a lot that you can do uh, to work on. You know, I don't even like to call it flat feet because, you know, demonizing flat feet is basically we've, we've come to a point of demonized pronation, which is the um, lowering of the arch of your foot versus supination would be the reforming of the arch. Pronation is really important. If you can't pronate, you're going to have big problems because that's a really big part of the shock absorption uh, mechanism of the subsystem of the foot. In fact, if you can't pronate, you're going to send a lot of impact forces up the chain. And so when you wear a pair of shoes that keep you in one position uh, or orthotics that keep you in one position, the ideal arch position, you lose a massive shock absorber. And so that actually plays, it has to go somewhere. It just goes upstream. Um, So pronation is not bad being stuck in pronation is not great. The biggest thing that controls the amount of pronation in the foot is your hips. And we have this thing that we, this little demo that we get people to do where they stand with their feet flat on the floor and without letting the feet come off the ground, I get people to essentially externally rotate, push their knees out and then let their knees cave in. And I just get them to absorb their, or, uh, observe, rather, their foot. And they often what they see is the arch comes up and the arch goes down. And people that have been told that they have flat feet Um, their entire lives are like, what? They kind of stare at you and just like with a blank look. And they're like, I just saw an arch happen in my foot. It's like, yeah, but you need hips that function and can actually rotate and that Mm -hmm. stabilizers can control that torque and rotation at the hip in order to be able to have control over the arch of your foot. It's not about about any static snapshot of the foot. It's about how well do you control the arch and do you have the full continuum? uh, Do you have access to the full continuum of pronation and supination and can control that adequately based on what movements you're being asked to do. So hopefully that kind of answers the question.
1: Yeah, I think that's super interesting. And I think people, yeah, at a a young age, they were like, they were told, you know, by a PE teacher or a coach at a young (laughs) age, right? Like, hey, you got flat feet, figure it out. Maybe they spend, gosh, time and time and time rolling out, rolling out, trying to create that arch or, you know, forcing themselves to get in the arch and it's just not happening. Um, Yeah, I think there's a lot of just misconceptions there. Forcing it when it's probably not absolutely needed. It's probably more your hips and knees than anything else.
2: Tons of misconceptions. And, you know, I, <clears throat> the lower body is an integrated system of systems. And the problem is there's a lot of financial incentives to help fix your flat feet problem, right? There's a lot of you know, orthotics that cost hundreds and hundreds of dollars to the consumer being sold to people as a solution to their flat feet. Um, and that's a big problem because it's simply a lack of understanding of how the you know, if you're if all you do in your work is to look at the shin bone and down, that's your job, sure. you're missing out on half the picture. And Good so point. there's no way to have a sustainable solution, right? And so we need to, you know, we're creating this new community at TFC called the Natural Podiatry Community, where podiatrists that are keen to change how they're working, right? Where the goal is more to
1: restore natural function, not mm-hmm. to provide more support to a foot that's weak. or And those are like two different things, right? Like, think about that, like the idea of restoring versus like, it's like, let's fix it versus like, let's put a bandaid on it almost. Those are like exactly two different practices, right?
2: Yeah. But there's some podiatrists that are like, we know this isn't the best way of doing it, but we have no alternative or exactly. framework mm-hmm. of how to do it differently because we're not taught that in school and that's part of the problem. So um, yeah, I think just the focus on restoring natural function is a big one. And I think we just have to understand that the body is extremely predictable and it's a direct you know, it it is a direct result of what we expose it to. And I think people underestimate how much sitting in one shape, sitting in a chair for most of your day and adopting just that one fixed shape. People underestimate how profound the effects are from that, because that is, I would say that that's the biggest cause of flat feet. Mm -hmm. Close second is the fact that we love to buy shoes with arch support. And it's like, if you provide support to your foot your entire life, The natural mechanisms that support your foot, which we're built with, can go on holidays because why the hell would they have to work? It's being done for them. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, we just have to kind of shift how we think of artificial support and footwear and shift how we think of sitting in chairs um, and understand that there are consequences and adaptations that are made based on those two inputs that we might not end up liking long term, but people just aren't aware that those adaptations are a result of those behaviors
1: great insight. I'm going to keep throwing more things at you just because I've had people that sure. they knew I was, they knew you are coming out and they, they wanted to ask about uh, plantar fasciitis. And um, yeah. I've had people at the gym that have dealt with this. Uh, my parents have both dealt with this. Somebody at the gym took one of your courses and had success with it as well. So kudos to what you guys are putting out there. But I'm curious on awesome. what is it for people that don't know? Um, how can we get beyond this? What are your thoughts? I'm sure this is a common question you get a lot. So let's kind of explore plantar fasciitis for a little while.
2: Sure, yeah. Well, I just want to say you have great questions, DJ. I think, uh, uh, you know, I do a lot of interviews and I find that I, you know, I think your questions reflect an innate curiosity on your behalf and on behalf of the people you work Absolutely. with. And I, I, these are my favorite questions to answer. Awesome. So, good. Plantar fasciitis, I mean, I could literally talk for an hour about plantar fasciitis, <laughs> but I'll keep it concise. We do have, um, a vi- I got really frustrated one day. I got like 10 questions about plantar fasciitis one day. I'm like, how the hell is this such a misunderstood um itis like label and so we do have a video on the full collective youtube channel that i think is about 20 minutes that goes into plantar fasciitis but to keep it brief and simple because i'm really a big fan of simplifying you know the plantar fascia is this layer of non contractile tissue on the bottom of your foot right plantar means bottom side of the foot uh fascia um, is this connective tissue layer think of it like saran wrap that envelops a lot of your muscle compartments and then itis means irritation or inflammation so that's really what it means. Um, the primary mechanism and my biggest, hypo- my primary hypothesis right now is that when we lose the ability to support the arch of the foot structurally, um, the last layer of defense to hold our body weight up against gravity is this hammock of fascia that goes from the, the front of your heel bone to the base of your toes called the plantar fascia. That's supposed to be there to play a contributing role to the structural integrity of the foot. But if it's given the primary role of, of giving all the support to the body because your hips don't know how to orient your foot, your foot muscles have gone on holiday, the last layer is your plantar fascia. And if there's tension on that all day, every day, it's going to itis. It's going to get irritated because it's not designed to have that much load put on it. And so the solution, I mean... Right off the bat, if you start to work on loosening up the joints and the muscles of your foot and just sort of wake them up, that is a big first step, right? And the hard part is not actually how to do that. You know, we have these little cork balls or lacrosse balls. Roll your foot on a couple minutes per day, a couple minutes per foot, rather a couple minutes a day. The hard part is being consistent. Um, And if you anchor that little behavior, that five minute behavior, to something you already do every day, like brushing your teeth. Um, in two weeks, people can control pain pretty easily. Even people, I've had people that have had plantar fasciitis for five years that literally do that every day, a couple of times a day. And in two weeks, they have no pain. Okay. Doesn't mean the problem's gone. It just means you've controlled the red, the emergency signal going off the body to say, you need to deal with this shit. Um, then you got to look upstream. It's like, okay, now I got to work on mobilizing my foot so that the bones can orient themselves, right? Like archers are very stable structures. And if you think of... I like to make the analogy, and I haven't said this one too much, so I'm kind of working it out as I go here. But <clears throat> if you look at the foot as an arch, the arch is very stable. And if you were building a bridge, you, that's why bridges are often built as arches, right? Roman arches are the way that they used to build bridges was as an arch, because it's a very good shape to distribute load. If you look at the foot like you would look at a, a bridge being made out of stone, the stones are the bones, the mortar are the muscles. And the person who's laying everything in the right shape are is the neural controller or the or the, um, the commands you're giving your foot. Sure. If you don't have anyone, if you don't have a uh what's the guy that lays stones? It's that's escaping my mind. Uh, the trade.
3: The Stop. mason. If you don't have a
2: stone, <laughs> if you don't have a mason, sorry, um to 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 put the stones in the right spots and put the mortar there, then the stones are just a pile of 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 stones, right? There's no shape to it. And so there's no ability for those stones to distribute load and support anything because there's no organization of them. If your brain doesn't know how to tell the bones of your foot to orient themselves or to how to tell the muscles um, how to hold those bones in the right shape, then you have no ability to have structural integrity from the, the bones and the skeleton of your foot. And so everything just rests on a hammock of fashion. Mm-hmm. And so step one is make sure those bones can actually move. Step two is make sure there's some mortar to organize and make sure the muscle of your foot can actually do their work. And then step three is get the hip, you know, get the stonemason back back on, on board. Get your hip understanding how to orient your foot in a position such that the structural integrity and the load bearing of your foot happens with the bones and the muscles, not with the fascia. And so mobilizing your foot, so getting a pair of natural footwear, spending time barefoot, working on um working on mobilizing your hip into rotation but more importantly getting away from the things that are causing you to detrain hip rotation aka get out of the chair spend time on the floor spend Mm -hmm. time standing vary your shapes radically throughout the day dance like dancing around is very powerful because it gets you to work on all these different playful positions and and sort of stimulate your body to problem solve how do i make this person's hip stable in this weird position that they haven't gotten into in a long time and Plugging all those things back in is really the solution to plantar fasciitis. So it's sort of multifaceted. It's the shoes you wear. It's mobilizing your foot. It's spending time barefoot. It's working on your hips. And if you attack it from all fronts, um, it's pretty easy to make progress and get rid of plantar fasciitis. And it tends to be such that if it does come back in future, you have a good template for knowing how to get rid of it. And if you're doing the work in between and maintaining it, and doing all the right behaviors, it doesn't come back. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's it sort of makes me sad to say that because it is really simple. And there's, I know people that for decades have gotten several cortisone shots a year, uh, into the tissue that is just getting destroyed because it's being asked to do something it is not supposed to do when the simple solution is start using your feet more, start Mm -hmm. using your body more, right? Right realign your behaviors with what your biology is meant to do. And then shit works really well.
1: Mm -hmm. It's fascinating to me as I listen to you speak is that a lot of the issues that we talk about flat feet, just a lot of these foot issues uh, you say stem from sitting. It's just interesting to me that you are able to point that out. And, you know, I think a lot of people that maybe are a foot specialist or a specialist in some area of the body want to say it's this, this or this, but really, I mean, it's, it's admirable that you say it comes back to, a lot of the times sitting, it's so profound to me. Um, you know, Dr. Kelly Starrett uh, was on the show a few months ago and he talked about, you know, sitting is the new smoking and he gets a lot of, you know, you know flack for that because it's such a, you know, I don't know. Who does he get flack from? Like, what <laughs> right. do those people know? <laughs> exactly, but I, think, but I think there's something to that, right? Like the, the sitting could be just as bad as smoking is for you and we might think that, I don't know, it's bad for our posture, our hips or just those things, but gosh, it's probably just as bad for our freaking feet.
2: I would say it is. And I, you know, I I hesitate and I don't think it's just sitting, but sitting is a massive part of it. If you don't fix the sitting itis, you know, I I started taking this approach in clinic where any patient that came in with a problem that I, I could rationalize as being related heavily to sitting, I just said, you have sitting itis. Because when you actually include sitting in the diagnosis, it tells them what they need to fix. If I say you have osteoarthritis, they don't know what the hell that is. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh my God, I'm broken. I have a problem with my body. If I say you have sitting-itis, it's like, well shit, I can fix my sitting-itis, right? Mm-hmm. I can get out of sitting and I can get out of it. And more importantly, it was, it's just one fixed position for long periods of time. There's nothing wrong with inherently with sitting. Sure. The problem is adopting one sitting shape for massive periods of time, mm-hmm. right? Like I put salt on my food, it's great. If I eat a pound of salt, I'm <laughs> dead. So it's the dose that makes the problem, and it's really just fixed positions for prolonged periods of time yields adaptations that make you better at that position. But being better at sitting is, essentially comes at the expense of being crappier in all other movements that humans should be capable of, and that's what people just sort of don't see because it's not, a, it's not super obvious. Um, and like I said, it's not taught in, in any health program that I'm aware of, which is shocking, whether it's physiotherapy or, or medicine or all that kind of stuff, like no one talks about that. And that is maybe the core, part of the core element of the problem is that the health knowers that people are going to for information are not actually even given the right information to truly help people do behavior change. Right. That's really, that's a, it's a big problem. You know, we're, we're working to create better options at TFC through something like the footner program. Uh, or through the media that we put out uh, on social media, is just like trying to give people a new template to, to see. Like, some of the solutions to the complex problems you've developed are very simple.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, you know, we often assume that if I have a complex problem, I need a complex solution. I need mm-hmm. more stuff, I need more technology, more drugs, blah, blah, blah. It's like, actually, it can be really simple, right? Like, who would have thought that the solution to 99% of foot problems is just take your shoes off? Um, wear shoes that are actually built for human feet. Like, and then people like, Oh, can't be that simple. Are you kidding me? Mm -hmm. Like that's an oversimplification. It's actually like, I don't think it is. I think that's just the truth. People don't want to hear it, but that's the truth that I've found over four years of just essentially spending my life energy to figure out what is the truth when it comes to health Mm -hmm. I have a really weird job. I essentially spend all day doing personal research and taking in information from our communities, figuring out like, what is the truth? What is the truth about food? What is the truth about sleep? What heuristics, general principles do we need to get out there and make available to people so that they can feel comfortable experimenting and doing their own research and figuring out their own truths? Because we all have very similar physiology. And Everyone likes to think they're special. If they have an injury, they're special. You're not special. You're just, you have to know what's up in terms of the general stuff and then have a way to start to implement these things in your life. And a lot of things happen in a good direction without you having to overthink it.
1: Talk to me a little bit about bunions, man. I think everybody knows somebody, <laughs> somebody with bunions, whether it's an, you know, it's probably somebody usually a little bit older, um, but maybe somebody in the younger crowd. I think first, is it, I think the first question to ask is it, is it genetic? Two, is it preventable? And three, once you have it, are you screwed? Or what, what can we do to kind of overcome some of those issues? Can we talk about bunions?
2: Yes. Great question. I think the most concise way of explaining bunions is a progressive dislocation of your big toe created by footwear. That is my, that's like the mic drop simple way of doing it. Um, footwear creates bunions. They are not genetic. Um, there is no gene in the human body that makes your big toe do a right turn. Like there just, there just isn't. And you know, I've, there's so much misinformation in, in medical communities. It's yeah. really a shame, right? Yeah, it is. When someone with, that has that paid a lot of money to get a piece of paper and have two words in a period, two letters in a period in front of their name tells you that they're genetic, you automatically think that's the truth. And, you know, if the common perception is that medicine is based on the scientific process, um, we need to reevaluate that assumption because it is not, unfortunately. It should be. I agree. Um, so bunions are not genetic. Um, they are complex, right? So I think 90%... I would say 99% of bunions get started by footwear. Mm -hmm. And I say get started because that is not the only variable. When you take a very complex dynamic system and then you, you know, you put um, a stick into the cogs of that system, the way that it adapts and the way that it messes up that system can happen in many different ways. We are master adapters. And so if you lose alignment of your big toe, if you lose mobility of your big toe, into extension because your shoes don't let you extend your big toe. They help you roll off the toe, which is why they have that toe spring at the front. Then your body can adapt in any number of ways. Um, Even from left to right can adapt in different ways, which is why some people have a bunion on their left and not their right, even though they wear the same shoes their whole life. Um, If you have bunions, you are not screwed. You can get rid of them. The more severe your bunion, the more work you have to do. The primary thing you need to do is get out of footwear that's making your bunions worse. I love this, um, sort of principle, the system of that I got from Gray cook from functional movement systems, protect, correct, develop before you can correct a problem. And before you can develop resilience, you need to protect yourself from what's causing the problem in the first place. So get rid of the shoes that angle your big toe in correct is then you can wear something like toe spreaders, Um, spend time barefoot, manually work on mobilizing your big toe. And then develop is just make sure you're never exposing your body to that, uh, to the footwear that narrows in and pushes your big toe in uh, again, and then spend as much time barefoot as you can, or spend as much time in natural footwear as you can. um, So that your body essentially recalibrates that big toe and starts to reintegrate the muscles to function in that natural position. Um, So yeah, they're not genetic. You know, I think, I always try and understand where, you know, a lot of people that say they're genetic, um, even just patients that I've worked with, or have the, basically have the understanding that they're genetic, I often ask, well, well, why do you think they're genetic? Um, You know, instead of just ranting on the fact that they're not, I try and understand why, because I want to understand where this, where are these things coming from? Like, where, where do these things weasel their way into common culture? Most people say that someone's told them that, someone in the health, rehab, medical world has told them that. But some people just make the assumption based on a pattern that they saw, right? Like I had a lady, she's like, well, my sister has bunions. My mom has bunions. My grandma has bunions. Mm -hmm. Bunions must run in our family. And I said, yes, bunions run in your family. Shitty shoes that make bunions also run in your family. That runs in your family. (laughs) (laughs) So that is, you know, it runs in my family and genetic very different, right? A lot of things run in families because families propagate similar behaviors. You were taught by your mom and dad. Uh, You will teach your children based on, in large part, what you learned from your mom and dad if you haven't haven't sought out information beyond your current understanding. Um, So yeah, you can fix them. You can fix them non-surgically, and I would advise everyone to at least have a solid six months of legitimately working on their bunions to restore Mm -hmm. natural function before they ever even consider surgery. Mm -hmm. The sad reality is... um, you know, when you go to a carpenter and, and say, should I build a house? The carpenter's probably going to say, yeah, you should build a house because you're you building a house pays my salary. If you go to a surgeon and say, and, and they tell you, you should do surgery. it's yeah, sure. We'll do because it. yeah. that's their only, that's their primary tool. Um, and you know, I've even had patients that have gone and had a bunionectomy. I've had repeated bunionectomies and I've never been told that footwear is what causes the bunion. Mm. That's really sad. Wow. And I'd like to think that the surgeon is not purposely not telling them that. I think they just don't know, Mm -hmm. which is another big like gaping hole in the system of education. It's like, how do you not understand that? Right. Like, have we gotten that narrow minded that we don't even pay attention to what's causing problems? We just put our heads down and, and pretend to fix them. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so yeah, if you have bunions, don't, you know, be optimistic because you have to put in some work you have to number one change your footwear but there's a lot you can do to get rid of them for good um i'm sure i had I, w- I really wish i would have taken pictures of my feet when i first started kind of embarked on this journey because uh, i would have shocked myself and i would have really created a really good visual for people because my feet were mangled from years of spending time in crappy shoes i loved shoes i was a shoe head i'd love to get all the newest shoes all the coolest stuff um, I, work, I literally got a job at a footwear store so I could buy shoes at a discount so I could buy more of them. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I, I played rugby and I was a back. So I wore soccer cleats, which are literally like submarines. They're yeah. so narrow. And so I'm sure I had a bunion. I probably had Taylor's bunions too. And, you know, now my feet look much more natural, um, much more muscular, uh, much better shaped. They fan out instead of kind of coming in. So you can get rid of them. You just have to be patient. And I think people have to embrace the sort of concept that the process is the destination. Like you're not trying to get some ephemeral area and, and get off the health train and be like, yeah, I'm there. It's like, no, every single day, the process is the destination. That is that is what you should be aiming for. And so if you know, if you're doing the right things and you're patient and you're consistent, good things are going to happen. You just have to like know that your body's, your biology's got this, okay? Just do your part and Don't mess it up and give it what it needs. It's got this.
1: Yeah. I really like what you said about it being a journey. And I think about the people that I work with, you know, I had a client who was, who was 30 years old and he hadn't worked out since college, got some, you know, weight gain. He wants to lose that weight. And You know, we were working, I was working with him for a few months. He was a little bit frustrated because he wasn't seeing the results he wanted to see. And I just had to kind of point to the fact that, look, you are, we're trying to unwind 10 years of habits, 10 years of fat building, 10 years of, you know, just collective bad habits. And so to me, I had to explain that it's going to take some serious time to unwind these last 10 years. And I kind of see that in the same sense of um, the journey to healthier feet. Is it a long journey? How quickly can you start? to see some changes does it take longer than other areas of the body what are your thoughts on the journey and in regards to fixing the feet
2: yeah i think um how long the journey is is a direct reflection of what you feel the end destination is and if there is no end destination then the journey never ends good point uh, that's the take that i've taken like my my goal is just to keep going to keep improving it's not to get to a certain level it's to just, what are the limitations of this machine if I expose it to the right stuff? Um, in terms of seeing results, I think uh, from the perspective of people continuing to be motivated to want to continue making changes and improving, I think it can sometimes be important to have metrics to be able to track over time. Yeah. So that could be um, pain. Is a, I mean, pain is a shitty metric overall because it's a very lagging metric, right? You get pain significantly after the problems have begun. Um, but for some people that have pain, that's a good metric, right? If you go from lots of pain to just a little bit of pain to no pain, like you're going in the right direction, even if you can't visually see any differences. Um, the amount of time that you're able to walk, um, in natural footwear, right? If you start and you're like after 30 minutes, my foot's sore. And then like two months later, you're like I just walked four hours in natural shoes and I feel great. Um, that's progress, right? So taking notes on, uh, the metrics, Uh, of of sort of what you want to use to keep track right like recording progress is very important because we repeat behaviors and we create habits based on positive emotions not reps it's like it's based on feeling good about doing a behavior because you're either you know that behavior is good for you and you have positive emotions that makes you want to do it again and seeing progress is a very potent trigger of positive emotions um and so so yeah i mean pick your identify whatever metrics you want to use if you want to use them um and you know i mean you can pick whatever end destination you want if it's to lift a certain amount of weight or walk a certain distance or some sort of challenge but at the end of the day um you should almost have that end destination be um uh, you know like an asymptote um in math where you you can get really close to it but you never actually touch it because if you touched it, you'd stop working towards it. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I always look at health as like this carrot that's constantly in front of me beyond my reach. And I'm just always trying to reach for it. Mm -hmm. Um, and know that trying to reach for it is actually the process that I want to motivate myself for. It's not getting the carrot. Mm -hmm. It's not being discouraged if I don't get the carrot. It's knowing that I reached for the carrot today. And if I do that every day, I'm going to be left with some really good stuff happening without me having to really focus on what exactly those good things are. Mm-hmm. And people feel it over time, right? They feel I have better energy. I'm happier. I don't have pain. I have less fear of movement. I can play with my kids without worrying I'm going to get hurt. Like they, it kind of trickles into their awareness when they start to be more mindful of it. But yeah, you just have to embrace the process of self-improvement.
1: Absolutely. Amen. I love it. Um, Nick, in our sport of CrossFit, we do a lot of, you know, I don't know if it's damage to our feet. We can say the word damage, but surprisingly to most with, with double unders, with box jumps, with running, with burpees, it's a ton of bounding and usage of the feet. What can CrossFitters do to help protect their feet a little bit better? Or maybe when the workout's done, is there certain things that you like to do, lacrosse ball, uh, foam roll? What are some things that we can do knowing that we do a lot of bounding in our workouts?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think the first thing I would say is we're designed to do a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, you can do a lot of stuff to the body if you're ready to do it and you respect the principles of recovery. So, you know, the shoes you wear when you're not training or not competing are the biggest factors that contribute to what your capacity is when you're competing. So having your footwear game on point, um, if, you know, people can go to TFC-shop.com. They'll see a bunch of different, I don't care if people buy it there or not. That gives you an idea of brands and styles that sort of have gone through our filter. Like we have a very um, zero tolerance filter. If we sell it at TFC shop, it aligns with our sort of high standard of natural footwear. Um, Recovery. So after a hard workout, you sometimes need to loosen up all the different layers because everything gets gunky, right? We're doing tissue damage. We're giving ourselves enough time to recover and then sort of have this uh, hyper adaptation where we then recover to a point where we're capable of more. And that's just kind of what training is. Mm-hmm. And so you have to take that same principle uh, to your feet. And and also know that you have you should be paying good attention to your feet because if your wrist kind of hurts, you can usually still train. If your feet hurt, it's really hard to train. So you know, pay attention to feet almost more so, I would say, than other parts of your body because they are almost like a rate-limiting element to your movement freedom and your ability to train. You can still train upper body, but it's really hard to do stuff when you can't be on your feet or when foot pain is constantly on your radar and the other thing with pain too is pain will affect the way you move it will start to ingrain compensations upstream which can be really hard to break later on and so yeah just be mindful of the pause have the footwork game on point do some foot recovery work do some balance work um, to reintegrate your hips and your feet so that they can work as a team because if the hips are on holiday and the feet are doing double the amount of work Uh, you're going to blast through uh, the cycles that your feet are capable of much sooner. And that doesn't mean that your capacities are not there. It just means that the integration between hip and foot is missing to the point where your feet are getting blasted when they maybe shouldn't be doing all the workload. Um, So it's, you know, the, the simple stuff, um, the really basic stuff, like balance work is not a sexy thing. You know, we came up with being sort of a a framework for doing balance beam work where it's task based challenges so that it's actually fun. It's playful. It's fun. It's, you have a metric for uh, sort of tracking your improvement. You know, I started with single leg balance for a minute and now that was hard initially. Now I can crush that and I'm doing, you know, this stuff. Um, but stuff like that really, you don't, I mean, balancing is not an event of nothing I know of. I mean, I'm, I don't know much about CrossFit, but I'm sure balancing is not an event, but getting really good at balancing on one leg and being able to tolerate loads and different movement um, sort of inputs on a beam on when you're balancing on one leg affects almost everything you do in all the other events. And mm-hmm. so it's not an obvious one. So people don't spend much time on it, but the dividends that it pays throughout all of your other um, competition events and more importantly from an injury prevention standpoint is huge. So mm-hmm. prioritize that stuff. I would I would say that's something not a lot of people um, – put on the radar as something deserving attention and energy in their training,
1: but can be really potent. What are your thoughts on rolling out the bottom of your feet with a lacrosse ball? Is it too, is that too much? Is there a time domain that you like to stick from? What are your thoughts on rolling out with a lacrosse ball?
2: I'm a big fan. Um, in terms of, is it too much? That's really dependent on the amount of pressure that you put, which is dependent on your tolerance to discomfort and also how much stiffness you have in the joints and the muscles. So I mean, I look at rolling out the foot as a supplement. Um, If you have a good balanced diet, you don't really have to take that many supplements. Mm. If you're using your feet um, as you should be, you probably don't have to do a whole lot of that. Certainly, if you have a hard session of double unders and you're really challenging your foot, maybe that's something you can do to just get a little bit dose of recovery in there and speed up the recovery process. But um, yeah, I'm a big fan. You know, we, as like an onboarding thing where people are just starting to work on their feet, I like two minutes per foot twice a day for two weeks, that mm-hmm. two, 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 uh minim- we find that to be a really powerful minimum effective dose. Sure. The amount of pressure you put is totally up to you. I like to do a minute rolling up and down minute rolling side to side, cover area everywhere except for the heel bone. And, uh, that can be, that can be really powerful.
1: Very cool. Uh, as we kind of close down here, I want to talk about uh, the two products that I've come across on uh, social media and through your website. And that's the, um, the toe separators. And forgive me, if that's not the right name. And then the balance beam. Talk to me a little bit about why you came out with those and what, what's kind of the purpose of them. We'll start with the toe separator one.
2: Yeah, so the toe separators, toe spreaders, whatever you want to call them, um, are really just designed as a tool to help resplay your toes, right? Footwear, our foot is supposed to be like this, where the big toe and the little toes lay out nice and wide. Um, For those listening, I'm kind of separating all the fingers on my hand. And footwear over time does this. It brings in our, our toes together and limits that amount of space where the spreader and spreaders aren't the holy grail of foot health, okay? But they can be a really powerful element unless you want to stick your fingers between each of your toes for massive periods of time during the day. Spreaders allow you to have that same effect to sort of stretch out the fascia between the toes, stretch out the skin, um reorganize the alignment of the toes so that the muscles on each side of the toes can have an ability to work in this sort of more balanced position, right? When you develop a bunion, your big toe sneaks over towards your other toes there's kind of two muscles pulling on opposite sides of that big toe. And so when your big toe starts to go off, uh, off alignment, the muscle that's put in a shortened position gets tighter. The muscle, the muscle that's put in an over lengthened position no longer has enough overlap to be able to do its job. Right. And so you, essentially you deactivate the ability of those muscles to work and make it harder to reclaim that toe alignment. So spreaders, uh, essentially passively help you reclaim that alignment and, if you're wearing them while you're moving, you're also sort of updating the software to get the muscles engaging in that better alignment. Mm -hmm. Um, So very simple, very uh, inexpensive, but very powerful if used consistently. And that's probably one of our um, biggest selling products because it's very, it's very cheap and it's very effective if you use it regularly. Um, yeah, I,
1: I got to get a pair of those. I, and sometimes what I do, I'll put like, I'll weave like my sock in between my toes at night yep, just because that like, works too. honestly, like it feels like release almost like it just feels good to sit and watch TV that way. Um, yep. For the people that like are wondering if, is that, is that for me? Is that not for me? It, do you have a certain type of, I don't know, person that if your toes are touching or w- w- what type of people benefit the most from this?
2: Yeah. So if you can't, I mean, I don't usually give like, I think anyone that's wearing shoes that aren't natural, toe okay. spreaders can help. Got it. Um, if you can't actively spread your toes apart without using your hands to do that, toe spreaders can help. Yep. It's easier to balance on something that's wider than something that's narrow. So if we resplay and widen your foot out, um, that will help give you a better base of support to balance on. If you have bunions, if you have Morton's neuroma, if you have a collapsed, arch if you're stuck in pronation right um then it can help because if the big toe is pushed out of alignment you've essentially kicked one leg of the tripod out in terms of structural stability of your foot so the spreaders kind of sort of realigning that big toe can um sort of essentially cure a bunion long term yeah. if you've got the footwear part on unlock um, and it can, alle- you know, Morton's neuroma is basically where the nerve between two metatarsals of your foot gets compressed. And that can be a really irritating thing for a lot of people. And the spreaders help to reclaim a little bit of space between those two bones and alleviate the pressure. So, uh, they do a lot. Um, they're only as good as how frequently you use them, but if you're sure. using them consistently, it can be really, uh, you can you know, the bang for your buck is high with spreaders and we sell wild toes, which are ones that we make at TFC. They're silicone, cool. um, for really small feet or really big feet. They sometimes aren't the greatest. So if you have like 13 size, 13 feet or like really tiny ones, they may not be the greatest. We also sell correct toes, um, which are a bit more expensive, but they come in different sizes so they can cater to some of those, um, really big or really small feet. And it's just a different, um, you know, it's a harder plastic. Um, you can actually put wedges in to increase the amount of space. So a couple options, but in general, um, you know, it's a really easy product to use, um, and, and can give good effects.
1: So for my listeners that, uh, they're listening to this, they're going to hop on and buy some first time doing this beginners in the foot world, if you will, which ones should they get? And then how often do you usually prescribe people wearing if they're beginners?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I'm biased, so I like to recommend the TFC ones. I find yep. them more comfortable, but um, correct toes work great as well. Um, there's actually every pair of wild toes, the TFC ones that we send out has a link on the back of the box and there's okay. a little two three minute video that basically cool. explains how to use them, how long, when to use them, where to use them, where not to use them, all that kind of stuff. so uh, it's all there so that because I think you know with a lot of the things that we sell at TFC our bigger our bigger role to play is helping people understand how to use the products, not so much just sell the products themselves. Um, And so we always try and make sure that people have sort of the understanding of how to implement this to get the best results. And so, yeah, for the wild toes, the instructions are on the back. And if you get correct toes, if you go to the correct toes website, they'll have a bunch of stuff I'm sure about how to use them and uh, sort of their take on it.
1: Perfect. I'm getting some after this conversation. That's for sure. Okay. Talk to me a little bit about the beam and then we'll close it down.
2: Yeah, I'll try. I mean, it's one of those things where I could literally talk an hour about the beam <laughs> because it's uh, sort of shape shifted in terms of the purpose and, and sort of the, the purpose I see it being good for and also uh, the benefits you can get from it. So the biggest reason I use, I'll just speak from my experience because um, I think that's, you know, it started with me literally balancing on railings, hand railings when I went away at courses. And part of it was, you know, I, I co-ran a business with another physio. We'd go on a course and towards the end of the course, I was like, shit, I'm basically my mind was filled with all the things I had to do when I got back Mm. and how I, how much I dreaded, like all, I just couldn't get the details out of my brain. just, I have a high entropy brain that has a lot of stuff going on all the time. And what I realized was if I try and stand on a railing and balance and try not to fall off, I instantly get rid of all of those concerns of what I'm doing in the future. And I just have to be present and I'm way calmer. I have to focus my attention instead of letting it go every which way. So I sort of used it as a mental, uh, like a form of active meditation almost. And I think for a lot of people, you know, the technological environment that we surround ourselves with, um, which is self-inflicted, by the way, through these Sweet. phones that we keep in our pockets, are training us to have a very narrow focus and concentration band. And so we're essentially detraining our ability to pay attention for a prolonged period of time every day when we look at these novelty inducing uh, platforms like social media or Um, you know email like we get dings pings whatever that just distract us so we're very distracted and so I find the beam is a very powerful tool to reclaim the ability to focus on one thing for a bit of time and that tends to be a really important uh, you know I kind of with my experience I looked at the beam as training wheels for being able to meditate because when I tried to meditate I, I saw firsthand how cluttered my brain was how how scatterbrained I was and by training my focus on the beam I allowed myself to better latch on and commit to a meditation practice without uh, feeling like my, my brain was everywhere. On the physical side, um, I mean, it helps to resplay and open up the foot. I think the biggest benefit is that it reintegrates the foot and the hip. Um, it's a playful tool. There's no wrong way of doing it, which allows people to express creativity, uh, which allows people to have fun on it, right? Because the, the best Movement or exercise you can do is the one you're actually going to do frequently. And in order to do that, it has to be fun. I think play is a very underestimated and powerful tool. But essentially, I look at the beam as a recalibration tool for the lower body where it can help to offset the sitting you're doing, um, the training you're doing, which might not be uh, based on a balanced array of movement positions, but like certain ones you're choosing to train, the beam can help to sort of recalibrate the natural function and get your brain understanding, okay, well this is how I use all these muscles that I'm not usually being asked to use or how I can align all align all the joints that seem to have spent a lot of time out of sort of a, a biomechanically efficient alignment. So yeah, it's a, it's a, the beam is a lot of different things, but I think the biggest thing is that it can be a habit forming physical practice that trains, uh, that has massive mental benefits and some really good physical benefits as well. And, mm-hmm. You know the the pro um, the realm of pro athletes is starting to sort of uh, pick up these things. Like literally, LeBron James has a beam in his home, oh, yeah. um, which is kind of cool. Toronto cool. Maple Leafs, Chicago Blackhawks, both their teams use uh, have ordered beams for their strength conditioning facilities, and so you're seeing more and more pro athletes see the value of play, see the value of. Uh, balance training as an adjunct and a powerful sort of catalyst for the rest of the training they do in terms of injury prevention, but also performance. So uh, yeah, it's a, it's a cool tool. And we have sort of this entire community um, built around the beam called beam tribe, which is really a health community where people support each other under that are sort of seeking to better understand health and make progress. But we all sort of use the beam
1: as one of our core movement practices. Um, so Yeah. Dude, I got to get myself a beam, man. That sounds, it's just, it just sounds fun. Like we talked about the, how we opened the show was like talking about, you know, kids and evolution. And like when I was a kid, right, like my mom was a gymnastics coach. And so I would cool fuck around on the gymnastics floor and I'd be going on the yeah. balance beam and I think it's a part of you a part of it is bringing it back to being a child and playing and yep. uh, and then beyond that too there's a lot of x's and o's you know you know you're creating better balance awareness um you're strengthening your feet depending on how you're standing on so there's a lot more it's not just a meditation device you're obviously um improving the x's and the o's and some of the ins and the outs of you know foot strength
2: yeah for sure and uh you know I should say that it's A beam is nothing fancy. A beam really is just something that constrains your base of support. So you can literally make your own beam. Like a two-by-four is a great beam to start with. Mm -hmm. Um, The only reason we make them is because people were asking us if they could buy them from us. And so if we're going to make anything, we're going to make it as badass as we possibly can. So we overbuild the shit out of these things. And, you know, we try and make them as nice as we can. So, um, you know, it's how people support us basically for – uh, but the stuff we put out. But at the end of the day, we always encourage people to do your own beam, make your own beam, be creative, and uh, just, you know, engage with um, uh, some sort of balance practice that can kind of center you and, and be a really, really good asset to all the rest of your training, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you go for a walk in in the the urban jungle, beams are everywhere if you're looking for them, right? They They turn into polar bear that you can't stop thinking of if you think of every railing as a beam then as long as you're not afraid to uh about what you look like to other people just like jump on there and test it and see you know be safe with it be within your realm of uh, capacity but it's fun man and it's the biggest thing i love about beams is that we talked about how seeing progress is an extremely potent motivator for humans to keep doing a behavior uh you know it stimulates positive emotions i am i am growing and improving as a human The cool thing about beams is that improvement happens insanely quick because getting better at balancing on something is, is not so much dependent on building more muscle or even building more endurance. It's dependent on your brain troubleshooting and problem solving and getting better at telling the right muscles to fire at the right time. And neurologically, those improvements happen extremely quickly. Like in the course of 10 minutes, you can be like, 500 percent better on a beam just because your body's learned how to be more efficient with how it's sort of telling certain muscles and joints to align and and fire so i really like that element of it i in the clinic i would get like 70 year olds on a beam that had issues even balancing on one foot and they're like i could not do that and then we do it and they're like wow i'm actually getting better and it's sometimes you have to challenge someone um to really force their brain to problem solve to a level that it hasn't been asked to do before and um Also, kids love the beam. I've never in my life as a physical therapist had to kick kids out of the clinic. (laughs) Um, Usually, I have to drag them in and get them to like, I have to bargain with them to not be on their phones. And, uh, you know, you get a couple kids that are doing rehab for like, you know, Osgood Schlatter or something like that in the clinic at the same time and say, okay, first one off the beam loses. Like, you've got to drag those kids out. And it's amazing to see them want to do something that is so powerful for them. They have desk jobs. They wear shitty shoes. Barefoot time on a beam is offsetting both of those. And if you have to, and if they want to do it, it's like, it's a diamond.
1: Cool. Nick, this has been fun, man. I appreciate your holistic approach and uh, you're just a cool dude to talk to. The, the, the last question I've been asking all my um, interview, uh, interview guests uh, this past year is kind of a unique question. It's off the grid a little bit, so uh, cool. we'll take, like we'll take it as is. But uh, basically what I've been saying is, let's say that um, you know this crazy year of 2020, pandemic, Black Lives Matter, all this stuff that's going on that's just making this world chaotic during 2020, let's say all of that cleans up and is over 2021, January 1st. What is so something that you've learned in 2020 that's going to make you a better human being, coach, um, instructor, husband, wife, whatever. What's going to make you better in 2021 uh, from something you've learned in 2020?
2: Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. I have like five answers in my head. I'm just trying to figure out which one is the best one. I think if you, if you stay curious and take radical personal responsibility for your experience, will always lead you in the right direction. Mm. So be curious. Just be curious like a a five-year-old child is curious and know that it is not your doctor's responsibility to take care of your health. It is not your physical therapist's responsibility to take care of your knee pain. It is your responsibility to do the work and do the research and figure out through curiosity and play, how do I expose my body to the right things so that it gets better? And You know, also just embracing the philosophy of improvement, constant incremental improvement. There's a Japanese philosophy called Kaizen, which is exactly that constant incremental improvement. It is not about getting to X goal. It is not about getting to the destination. It's about every day. What did you do to show up to get a little bit better? And that could literally mean I spent five minutes barefoot today. I'm getting better. And so put your motivation on the fact that you're improving be curious to figure out different ways you can improve and take personal responsibility, radical personal responsibility for you doing the right things. Because if everyone does that, we live in a different world, right? If everyone relies on themselves to be the, the agent of change, instead of relying on other people are saying how these things are so unfair or this thing's broken. It's like, okay, I agree with a lot of those things. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, we need to take personal responsibility for our bodies for our health. Um, how we live our lives because if each person takes responsibility the environment gets better the food landscape gets better everyone becomes a nicer person if they take responsibility to just take care of themselves so yeah that was a really long answer but
1: yeah drop drop the mic brother that's awesome (laughs) that's a great place to end it so uh for my listeners that are interested in the foot collective they uh want to get into into the shop and all those things where can i point them
2: uh, the is sort of our jump off point for everything. It's where uh, you can get access to, you know, uh, our shop, um, to the podcast, to all the different communities, you know, Beam Tribe, the footnerd Tribe, uh, all the upcoming projects we have. Uh, we're kind of going to do a revamp of the website because it is a little bit ancient. Um, I've learned that my website skills are now the bottleneck to like <laughs> <laughs> evolving that. Um, but yeah, the and then uh, the Foot on Instagram. If you go on the link tree there, we put all like sort of our major uh, links on that link tree. So yep, that's where to find us. And uh, you know, our goal, you know, TFC has been sort of a chameleon in the past four years and just sort of adapted based on the circumstance of the times and opportunities that we're seeing. But we're really just a, public health collective. Um, and we, you know, fulfill that mission of reempowering people to take responsibility through, you know, projects or uh, products rather through communities that we design, through the media that we create. Um, and you know, that's really, our mission is just to reempower people to take responsibility for their health. And so it's been a fun ride and thank you for having me on. Thank you for doing what you do too, because like I said, you ask really good questions and it's, you know, Podcasts are hard to do. There's a lot of attention to detail and we don't get paid for these. No. <laughs> but it's just, it is the most potent medium to spread a message and get a lot of ears on it. And so thank you, DJ, for doing this, inviting me. And uh, I look forward to keeping in touch.
1: Absolutely, man. If you guys are uh, listening in the Minnesota Twin Cities area, we are going to try our hardest to bring Nick out to the to my five. So if you're in the area, you want to do a seminar, um, just kind of keep in touch on what we're doing. And hopefully 2021, we can kind of get together and brainstorm something to have you come out to the gym.
2: Sounds good, man. I look
3: forward to it.
1: Awesome. Guys, have a great week. We'll see you next Tuesday for another episode on the My Fit Podcast.